that triple bogey was not really that impressive. Nor were the birdies. Um, it's good to have Drake Patterson back, our official breeder and kisser. Drake Patterson. Now, Drake, how long have you been out? Gone? Two weeks or three weeks? Three weeks. Three weeks. And he is, you know, he goes out front and he kisses every woman that comes in. And that's why half always come out of this country. He told me, however, when I came in to make an announcement for him, that he has been three weeks kiss deprived. And and that he will be in the back after the service <laughs> to get an extra kiss on the way out. <laughs> Makeup kiss. That's right. So anyway. so anyway, we are in Psalm 98. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 98. And we want to thank uh, Pam Blackwell for putting together the lunch bunch for next week. Pam is over at this table. Wave your hand real high. Now. And uh, last time we had 60 people at El Phoenix. We hope that you'll come and make it 61. Okay, Psalm 98. When you get there, you'll notice there is a superscription, but the superscription simply says a psalm, uh, which is another way of saying a song. And uh, so this is a song. That's all it says. It gives us no further information about the author, or the date of composition, or the historical context. So we are left basically to look at the psalm on its own. We do know, however, that the 4th century church called this psalm a cantata domino, which is Latin for those first four or five words in the psalm, sing to the Lord. Cantata Domino. Now, as I've studied the psalm this week, I've been able to divide it into three equal parts. Okay, so each of three three verses. So here's how I'm going to divide it. This will be my outline. Verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 6, verses 7 through 9. Verses 1 through 3, worshiping God based on past victories. Key word there would be, for our understanding, would be past, past victories. Verses 4 through 6, how to worship God in the present, under present circumstances. And then verses 7 through 9, the command to worship God in anticipation of future victories, or future deliverances. So we're going to deal with the past, we're going to deal with the present, we're going to deal with the future. Now the object of our worship becomes very interesting. You'll notice the word Lord, L-O-R-D, capitals, in verse 1. That's, he is the object of our worship. You see the same wording in verse 2. The Lord has made. You see it in verse 4. Shout joyfully to the Lord. You see it in verse 5. Sing to the Lord. All caps. You see it in verse 6. Shout joyfully before the Lord. You also see it in verse 8. But, so this is the Lord. And when you see the word Lord in all caps, it simply is a translation of the word Jehovah or Yahweh. You say, well, why is it either Jehovah or Yahweh? Because uh, you have to decide whether it's going to be a J or a Y in the Hebrew language. And that's a hard decision. So some people call God Yahweh and some people call him Jehovah. And the vowels, there's no vowels in the Hebrew language language. 
So Jehovah, how do you spell Jehovah? J E. Okay, so now, how do you spell Yahweh? Y A H. There's no vowels in the Hebrew language, and so you have to put the vowels in order to make a sound. To make it, so you can pronounce the word. And so some people put it with a Y, some people put it with a J, some people put it with a V, some people put it with a W, and so it's either Jehovah or Yahweh. But the point is that this is God's special name. This is how God revealed himself to Moses. Had God not revealed himself in this way, we would have never known God. All we would have known is there is a God. And we would have had to deduce that, that God not revealed himself to Moses. That would have been deduced. Well, we see creation, there must be a creator. You know, that's deduction. Uh, but God chose to reveal himself. And when he revealed himself to Moses, he, Moses, he revealed himself as Jehovah or Yahweh. And he promised Moses that he would deliver or redeem his people out of Egyptian bondage. So this is God's redemptive name. He is the Savior or the Redeemer of his people. But, also in verse 6, the psalmist identifies God as King. Look at that. Shout joyfully before the Lord, and then you see the phrase, The King. Not a king, but the ultimate king. The king over all kings. And so that makes this what we call an enthronement psalm. And, or a royal psalm. It's the Jehovah is king. So with that understanding, I think we can break down the psalm, the psalm and make some sense out of it. So let's first of all look at worshiping God based on past victories. Look at verse 1. Here is the command. Sing to the Lord. What are we singing to sing to the Lord? Look what it says. Sing to the Lord a new song. A fresh song. Uh, this phrase, new song, was also found in verse 90 in, in Psalm 96 and simply refers to a fresh song or a, a fresh way of singing to the Lord. Uh, a new song. So what's a new song? Well, I remember the first time I heard the song, The King is Coming. Bill Gaither wrote. Remember that years ago? Anybody can remember the first time they heard that? So there's people who actually remember a new song. We all like new things. We like new clothes. You'd rather have new clothes than a bunch of old clothes. Especially depending on where you have to go, right? You like the smell of a new car. I don't know why they just spray that stuff in there. They, <laughs> but we like new things. You'd rather, I mean, when you go to the bank, what do they do? They get, get rid of all the old bills, and they put in these new, crisp $100 bills. And when you get one of those, for some crazy reason, you feel better than if you got an old, crumpled up $100 bill. So we like new things, fresh things, things that smell fresh. Uh, I remember the pastor, uh, when he decided to go with this uh, new building project. He said, you know, we all love this old building. We have memories of this old building. Uh, but, you know, when visitors come and they see it, what do they see? An old, run-down building. So we go into a new building, and guess what? It starts drawing people. People are drawn to new things. So, in a sense, God likes new things. And what he likes is not new material things, but a new song. A new song on our lips, a new song in our heart. A few years ago, I mentioned that Lynn's grandfather 
before he died. Every morning when he got up, there was a new song on his lips. And it wasn't a song that had already been written, a hymn. It was a song God gave him every morning. He woke up and there were these words on his lips. A new song, a fresh song. And I had never heard that before. And uh, or experienced anybody who did that. But the Lord wants a new, fresh song, not just an old song that we're familiar with. Sometimes worship can get stale. You know, just singing the same old things that you don't even think of the words anymore. You know the tune so much, you sing it by rote. So we're to sing to the Lord. What are we to sing? A new song. Now, why are we to sing to the Lord? Look what it says in verse 1. For, because, He has done marvelous things marvelous thing. What are you to sing? A new song. Why are you to sing it? Because of the fantastic and wondrous things that God has done. What kind of things has he done? Look what it says in verse 1. It says, His right hand and his holy arm have gained him what? Yeah. Salvation, the victory, deliverance. And uh, when you see that word victory or salvation, or deliverance, it's referring to victories over the enemy. Uh, Egypt. Uh, the victory over Babylon. Uh, victories that uh, would have been impossible had God not intervened. That's the victories that, uh, and the marvelous things that God has done. So that's the first reason we are to worship Him freshly, because, hey, there are new victories every day. Number two. The Lord has made, second reason we're to worship Him, because the Lord has made known His salvation. That's His deliverance. Notice, He's made known His deliverance. His righteousness has, He has revealed. Look, He's made known. His righteousness He has revealed. Look, in the sight of nations. What He accomplished was not done in secret. It was uh, obvious to everybody. He's made known his victories, his deliverance, his defeats of the enemy. When the Red Sea opened up, guess what? There was no doubt about it. It was obvious that this was a God thing, right? You don't have to say, I wonder who did that. You know, it was a God thing. And so he has made known his victories, obvious to everybody. And we're still telling about those victories. When you think about it, we talk about the Red Sea, you talk about David and Goliath. How did David, a little kid, who picked up five stones, knock down a giant? It says, because the Lord was with him. And guess what? Everybody understood. God made it obvious that this was a God thing. You think of Daniel and the lions then, who hadn't eaten for days. These lions, they throw him in. And guess what? The lions' mouths were stopped. You think the king thought, hey, this is sort of strange. Now he realized that, Dave, that Daniel's God was with him. The, the Hebrew children thrown into the fire. And guess what? There's a fourth man in the fire. And they come out unscathed. God has made his deliverance to salvation uh, known to everybody. And you think about Jesus who, who defeated the grave. Why did he defeat you? How does a man who's, been, who's died and has been put in a grave three days later walk out of the grave? God raised him from the dead. It was an obvious thing. God has made known and has revealed his salvation to the nations. Now there's a third reason we are to praise God and worship him. That's found in verse 3. He has remembered his mercy. Look at this. 
We should praise him because he, that's God, has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Now that word mercy there is one of those covenant words. It means that God's, it's a word that's it's, uh, translated compassion. It's a word that's translated love. It's a word that's translated mercy. God remembered his mercy that he was going to be compassionate upon his people Israel and his faithfulness. He said, I will not let you down. So when God entered into a covenant with Israel, he said, you'll be my people, I'll be your God, and you can always depend on me. And they said, well, you can depend on us too, Lord. But that, was, that promise wasn't kept, but God's promise was kept. And because God's prom promises are kept, we're to worship him. And then it says, all the ends of the earth, at the end of verse 3, have seen the deliverance or the salvation of our God. Obvious to all. So, this is why we sing a new song. Because all we have to do is look back at the past deliverances, and that will cause your heart to well up with worship. And uh, just think about the times that God got you out of a fix. Just think about that. It doesn't take me long to think about the fixes that God got me out of. And if some of you have been in financial fixes and God got you out of them, some of you have been. You're going to face jail time. Guess what? God got you out of that. He delivered you. He saved you from that situation. Some of you, he's delivered you from some sort of addiction that you've got. You know, I want to tell you something. When I was young and before I became a Christian, I had an addictive personality. I probably still have an addictive personality. But God delivered me. I could not take a drink. I could not go into a bar room or I could not be offered a drink and drink one alcoholic beverage. One led to another and I had to drink six. I had to drink seven. I had to drink. I was an addict. And it was the same with gambling. I remember going to Pimlico Racetrack having just been paid for a week's salary and walking out of the racetrack with 18 cents in my pocket. So God delivered me from addictions. And maybe you can deliver from addictions. When you think about how your life could have been and should have been had God not intervened, you'll be singing and worshiping God. And you think about physical healings. God raised you up when you thought you were going to die. You know, emotional healing. You've been into a state of depression, and guess what? One day you were in a deep state of depression thinking about taking your life. Next day you woke up, and suddenly the darkness was gone, and it was like a supernatural deliverance. So we think about the past, and the past causes us to worship, and, and sometimes these are problems of our own making. You know, it's not like we're victims of circumstance. So if you've you had any of these past deliverances, this song gives you an instruction. Sing, oh, sing to the Lord a fresh song, a new song. Now we come to the present. And so we look up at verse 4, and it deals with present. So in verse 4 it says this, Shout! Look joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Now notice how you're to worship God in this setting. First of all, you're to do it with volume. Look, shout, 
<laughs> Loudly. Joyfully. Exuberantly. With exuberance. See? In other words, not only with volume, but a right attitude to the Lord. All the earth should do this. Look. Break forth in song. To break forth means do it spontaneously. We're to do it loudly. We're to do it enthusiastically. We're to do it spontaneously. Look at this. With the harp. With the harp and the sound of a song or a sound of a song. We're to do it instrumentally. Accompanied. Our singing should be accompanied. Uh, if you're doing it with instruments, you're dealing, dealing with um, a little bit of skill. You do it skillfully. You do it artistically to worship. It doesn't have to be just loud shouting like you're some wild you know, football game and you're shouting for a team that's just scored a touchdown. But this is talking about that's accompanied by, by hearts. Now, when a team scores a touchdown, a lot of times the, the band will play. But I've never seen them use a harp. <laughs> it's a little different there. So it's not that kind of worship where you're just going crazy. And with trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. So there's how you do it. And then right at the end, in verse, the end of verse 6, we discover where you're to do it. Where are you to worship God? Look at this. Before the Lord. You see that? Where the Lord is. Before the Lord. The King. Well, where was the Lord in the Old Testament? Well, he was in, yeah, the house of worship. He was in the tabernacle. He was in the, the temple. He was in, we say he's in the church. You know? But that's not the only place he is. Was he there when the Red Sea opened? Yes. Read Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. You'll discover the Lord is everywhere. The, uh, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin are going to stone Stephen because he's talking about God and Jesus Christ. And, uh, and uh, they, Stephen basically lays them out and says, you know something, you think God's only here in the temple. And he says, hey, he was there in the burning bush. And where was Moses at that time? He was in a foreign country filled with idolatry. His father-in-law was an idolater. And God showed up there. God showed up to Abraham. Abraham wasn't in a Christian country. He wasn't in a Jewish country. There weren't any Jews at that time. God showed up there. So worship God wherever he is. So Jesus, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. And the people shout joyfully, Hosanna! Hosanna to the King! Deliver us now! Goes right along with that. And so that's what that means when it says in the end of verse 6, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. And so that was a fresh shout, wasn't it? When Jesus rides into town, they weren't expecting him to show up. And here he comes riding into town. They see him who many were saying was the Messiah. And just spontaneously and loudly, you know, they begin to shout hosannas to the King. And we should worship the Lord with a fresh hosanna every morning. And then we come to the last section, verses 7 through 9, and we're to worship in anticipation of future events. Okay? So look at this, verse 7. 
Let the sea roar in all of its fullness in light of future deliverances, because we're going to see this deals with the future. In light of future deliverances, uh, the entire, this could mean the entire creation shouts for joy. So we have the sea roar in all of its fullness. Uh, this would be a song of the sea. Um, but maybe this is a metaphor. Maybe it's not the sea that's roaring. Maybe it's people who are roaring. You know, like a sea of humanity. Because the next part of verse 7 says, the what? The world. You see that? And those who dwell in it. So in a sense, it could be that uh, verse 7, line 1, uses the metaphor that the sea world roar and all that is in its fullness. But line 2 of verse 7 tells us really who the sea is. It's the world and the inhabitants who dwell in the sea. And then next is, let the rivers clap their hands. That's a picture of the rivers rejoicing. The rejoicing of the rivers. The song of the sea, the rejoicing of the rivers is the waves pound against the seashore. And you hear that clap. And each clap represents a praise to the Lord. But it's probably not referring just to the waves, but probably to people. Again, it's probably a reference to people. And then it says, in verse 8, it says this. And let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Here you have the hallelujah of the hills. The song of the sea, the rejoicing of the rivers, and the hallelujah of the hills. As the wind blows and the tree leaves rustle, and that is them praising the Lord, the hills praising the Lord. So it represents either all of creation or all of humanity to be praising the Lord. The reason... Well, look what it says, verse 9. For, for what? Because he, that's the king, that's Jehovah, he is coming to judge the earth. So we worship in anticipation of this future deliverance. So the king is coming. That's what Doug Oldham used to sing, wasn't it? The king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sound. And now he's face I see. The king is coming. So we should be rejoicing in light of his coming. He's coming for what purpose? To judge the earth. That's the purpose of his coming. The, his enemies, as he judged in the past, Egypt, Babylon, you know, Rome, Greece, all those nations, he's going to judge. Ultimately, there's going to be an ultimate judgment in the future and an ultimate salvation to those of us who are in Christ. For he is coming to judge the earth. It says, with righteousness, he, judge, he shall judge the earth. In other words, uh, it's going to be a fair deal. Everybody's going to get justice. Accept his people who get mercy, who get love and compassion, because God has said he'll deliver us. And just as he delivered his people in the past, he'll deliver us in the future. And guess what that should drive us to do? 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So, God's people will be delivered. And those who have died in Christ will be delivered, and there will be a resurrection. And I want you to know there won't be any Christians in Sparkman Hillcrest one day. Towards Westland or Grove Hill for the National Cemetery. Because the King is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. And the dead in Christ will be raised. It will be the ultimate deliverance. And uh, we see that same phrase singing a new song over in Revelation. I just want you to flip over there. It talks about the end times. And it's mentioned a couple times in Revelation. We'll just look at the one time. It's found in chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. It says this, Now when he, that's Christ, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four, 24 elders found out, fell down before the Lamb, each having a heart, and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. That's the song, the new song at the end of the age in the kingdom. There'll be a new song. And we can begin to sing that new song right now in anticipation of that future. Just think about the past deliverances. You'll sing a new song. Anticipate the future deliverances. While on this earth, and then the ultimate future deliverance, the ultimate salvation. And that will lead you to sing a new song. But we don't have to wait for the ultimate deliverance to sing the new song. That new song can be on our lips today. Amen. Next week is going to be our last Psalm of the Summer, Psalm 99. And then next year we pick up Psalm 100. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a wonderful word. A word that is an exhortation. A word that is a reminder. A word that is an encouragement to reflect on our past deliverances and anticipate the future so that our heart will break forth spontaneously in worship, singing a fresh and new song. Oh Lord, may this be the course in our life. In Christ's name, amen.